today on Understanding Immigration. Immigration and the Biden cabinet. You could expect to see him trying to expand DACA, maybe even you know trying to find some way to reinstate DAPA. In 2012, Becerra said at that time, and this is a direct quote, if it were up to the president and to Democrats, the DREAM Act would be the law of the land today. If it were up to the president and the Democrats, we'd have comprehensive immigration reform today. And this was in 2015, President Obama's Department of Homeland Security Inspector General John Roth found that he acted improperly during this time, and it really didn't receive a lot of media attention. Coming to you from Washington, D.C., you are now listening to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. This is Spencer Rayleigh, FAIR's Director of Research, and I'm joined as always by Matthew Tregesser from our media team and Preston Hennekins from our lobbying department. Today, we want to take a look at some of the names that President-elect Joe Biden plans to nominate to lead key positions in government that will critically impact how our immigration laws are enforced. Of course, before we do that, we do want to acknowledge that Donald Trump is still contesting the results of the November election, and nothing is set in stone until the Electoral College votes on December 14th, and then again, those votes are certified on January 6th. But we still want to educate you, our listeners, on what a potential Biden cabinet would look like and how it would impact all of our daily lives. So we want to do that. But before we dive into that topic, let's take a look at some of the recent immigration news headlines from this week. So first of all, Trump's push to end the inclusion of illegal aliens from congressional reapportionment in the census is headed to the Supreme Court, it looks like. So While this is unlikely, I believe, to impact the 2020 census, it could have far-reaching impacts in the future should he be successful with uh, implementing this, uh, this change. So what impact would this have on the disbursement of federal funds, and how likely is it for these changes to actually take place? Yeah, so the, the arguments said on behalf of the Trump administration in the Supreme Court are really intended to protect the interests of Americans and legal immigrants. And as you mentioned, Spencer, you know, the census has included illegal aliens uh, for apportionment for decades, which has resulted in Americans, legal immigrants being denied representation politically and in federal funding. And so what we typically see right now is states with larger illegal alien populations will likely have more political representation, whether through electoral seats or they'll receive more federal funding, which is based on uh, states' population. And so what we're seeing right now, or in the past few decades, are states with larger legal alien populations will get more of this representation and more of the funding, more so than states uh, with fewer legal aliens. And that's just really unfair. And it's, it's good to see that, that the Trump administration and President Trump is trying to take an initiative to protect Americans and legal immigrants. But again, you know, it, it's unclear how the Supreme Court will rule on this. I think it's good just to bring awareness to the issue and, you know, highlight how this is really not benefiting the country in any way. Um, But, you know, the Supreme Court hasn't decided just yet how they will rule on it. Uh, They heard final oral arguments uh, earlier this week. So, you know, a decision could be made by the end of the calendar year, by January 1. But we'll be uh, monitoring that closely. Yeah. And just to kind of follow up on what you said, Matthew, you know, there's kind of conflicting reports from people that really follow the Supreme Court, uh, how they're going to come down on it. There's from everything I've read, it seems like there's a general consensus that they might um, wait to rule on this. 
for whatever reason. So again, we'll, you know, we'll be following it, but um, this has, has huge implications uh, for states that, you know, aren't California and New York. Uh, and particularly, um, this is an issue that's been raised by states like Alabama for years, which is that they are directly impacted by not having a very large illegal alien population, and that actually costs them seats in the House of Representatives. So um, it's an issue that I don't think is going to go away. And even with uh, a potential su- Supreme Court ruling on this narrow topic of using the census and and how they're going to calculate uh, illegal aliens from that, I think that's the real issue. I think the issue of apportionment is still going to be in the um, in the public scene for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And it is interesting. You, you had mentioned uh, about some states would actually lose representation. We had dug into this a little bit here at FAIR. And we found that just in the last 10 years, California would have gained at least one, anywhere from one to, to three seats in the House of Representatives just from new illegal aliens moving into the state. So should this take place, you'd be looking at, you know, some states, especially California, Texas, some of these larger states would lose several, several seats in Congress. And that would honestly, it, it would better balance, you know, representation for states that follow the law, that implement laws such as mandatory verify that deter uh, illegal aliens from moving into their state. And, uh, you know, it would be it would be more fair for them. So we'll see how that we'll see how that turns out. Uh, like we had mentioned, it, it seems largely unlikely to make a, a, a large difference to the 2020 census. It could potentially have, you know, major implications in the future, though, should this change take place and it's not dismantled and, you know, it, it, it stays around until the next census. On to another topic. So former President Obama wrote a book. It's all over the media, Twitter, you know, across social media. And so because of that, he's making his rounds in the media to promote it, understandably. And in a recent interview, though, he made a, well, I see it as a very controversial and potentially offensive comment about Hispanics who voted for President Trump in the 2020 election. And and in that interview, he said that Hispanic evangelicals, I'm quoting here, care more about abortion then they care about undocumented immigrants in cages. Now, I, I, I find that really interesting. I mean, first of all, I, I think it's problematic that he labels this in a way as just a Hispanic issue. I mean, illegal immigration has nothing to do at all about race and ethnicity and everything to do about whether a person of any race, ethnicity or creed, whatever, enters the country by the proper methods or not. So many lawfully present immigrants, I think, are tired of open borders proponents lumping them together with illegal aliens as if they are all in the same boat together. And we saw evidence of that frustration at the polls when Trump won heavily in, you know, in immigrant counties in places like South Texas or in Florida. So, you know, I find that really interesting. And, you know, again, the topic of cages that, you know, many, if not most of them, Obama made you know, just seems a little bit hypocritical and a little bit, uh, you could argue, offensive for him to, you know, make comments like that about the Hispanic community and how they voted. Uh, anything that you guys want to add to that? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, you know, going into, it's it's offensive in the sense that Obama is essentially saying, uh, without writing it down specifically, that 
the only thing Hispanics as a group should care about is immigration. And that's just silly. I mean, we've, it's very silly. Any well-rounded person is going to care about more than one singular issue. And for, for President Obama, who is not Hispanic himself, to come out and say, oh, you know, it's, it's ridiculous that they care about abortion instead of immigration issues is just, just silly. Yeah, I, I thought this was a blanketed statement. I see it as unacceptable, uh, unfounded. As you said, Spencer, President Obama oversaw the Department of Homeland Security in 2014 when these so-called cages were built. And they were built because there were surges of family units and unaccompanied minors coming to the border in 2014. And the U.S. needed more space along the border. So he literally oversaw the, the creation of these structures. But more importantly, you know, we look at uh, exit polling after this 2020 election, um, look at Zogby Analytics exit polling, and you'll see that Hispanics very much care about the immigration issue. And majorities of Hispanic voters agree that they have concerns over illegal immigration, illegal immigration, and it's a very important issue to them. And it's something that I think former President Obama does not really understand how Hispanics view legal and illegal immigration. But let me break down some of these figures that we found from the exit polling. I mean, we have uh, roughly 80% of Hispanic voters agreeing that limiting cross-border traffic and restricting the emission of international travelers is important to help curb COVID-19. We have 60% of Hispanic voters believe that immigration should be reduced in order to maintain our nation's population. So you see that all across the board. I mean, I just, I, I don't know why President Obama said that. Um, as someone who is Hispanic, I take some offense to it. I, I don't think it was appropriate, appropriate for him to say that, but um, yeah, just simply misguided and, you know, an unfounded claim. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, just a final point on this, I think it's, it's so many people who have spent years and so much of their life savings coming to America the right way. They don't view it. They don't view those who just cut in line, cross the border illegally, overstay their visas, whatever, necessarily with you know a large amount of sympathy you know you can be sympathetic to the plight of those who are in difficult situations countries with poor economies but at the same time understand that our immigration policies are there for a reason and that you need to follow the proper procedures to come to the united states so yeah i think it was a uh i think it was it was a very narrow uh narrow-minded comment and uh I mean, I, I I don't see any media outlets or anyone holding him accountable for that, but we are. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> let's uh, transition into our main topic. Last week, while we were all thawing our turkeys out, President-elect Joe Biden announced that he intends to nominate uh, Alejandro Mayorkas to lead the Department of Homeland Security and uh, Xavier Becerra to be Attorney General. Of course, those have to go through the confirmation process, and that can't start until uh, Biden actually takes office, should he take office. But, you know, assuming that he does, let's start with you, Preston. Tell us what you know about Becerra and whether he's likely to be confirmed by the Senate and what that would mean for immigration enforcement in the United States. Yeah, so, you know, uh, Xavier Becerra has been in democratic politics uh, for a long time, since since the early 90s. Um, he, he comes from an immigrant, immigrant background himself. Uh, both of his parents were born in Mexico. And so that is kind of a, 
And he's he cited this in, in speeches and in public comments that he's made over the years. So it's something, uh, immigration being that something, that he thinks about a lot and that I think he really, he focuses on throughout his career. He's currently the, atten- the Attorney General of California, but between 1992 and 2017, uh, he was a United States representative uh, from California. And in the late 90s, he actually was the head of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. And while he was in the House, uh, especially after President Obama um, became president, he, he was a huge supporter of the DREAM Act amnesty and of, of President Barack Obama's um, DACA program. And in 2012, uh, Becerra said at that time, and this is a direct quote, if it were up to the president and to Democrats, the DREAM Act would be the law of the land today. If it were up to the president and the Democrats, we'd have comprehensive immigration reform today. And of course, you know, anyone that's followed uh, the immigration debate for the past 20 years knows that both of those are just code words for amnesty. That essentially means you're, you're legalizing tens of millions of illegal aliens with not really anything in return uh, in terms of enforcement or changing our current uh, asylum laws or anything of that nature. But I want to move into, uh, you know, what he's done as the attorney general of California. Uh, you know, he's sued the Trump administration over 60 times, probably most famously alongside a number of other states to stop the construction of the border wall. And he's he's been really engaged in that. And it, it, it's something that he has has taken as kind of a badge of honor that he's sued the administration uh, as many times as he has. And he's only been the attorney general of California since 2017. And uh, he also uh, gave the Democratic response to the February 2019 State of the Union address, which at this time our listeners can remember uh, the the government was about to was um, I think we maybe just gotten out of the shutdown over the border wall debate. And so Becerra, in his in his response, used the wall as kind of a metaphor and as an image of all these different scary things that President Trump and congressional Republicans were going to do. So he, he noted that Republicans were building walls between illegal aliens in the U.S., that Republicans and President Trump were building walls between doctors and their patients, that uh, President Trump and the Republicans were building walls between voters and the voting booths. So, um, it, and it was, you know, to... To the extent in it, that it was that it was political, it was very effective because that was really the key issue of of that State of the Union address. And he he answered a lot of, or not, maybe not answered. He responded to a lot of the uh, things that President Trump was discussing in in his State of the Union address. So, you know, in terms of what he's going to do with immigration, um, as both a congressman and as California's Attorney General. Becerra has advocated for for amnesty legislation and for protecting illegal aliens as long as he's been in office. And that's that's kind of there's no secret. He hasn't hidden behind that in any sense of the word. You know, he's he's proud of that. Uh, It's something that he has a long record defending and advocating for. Um, and, And, you know, to put it this way, if he was confirmed as attorney general, he's essentially the exact opposite of President Trump's first attorney general, Jeff Sessions. Uh, and even now, he shares very little in common with the current Attorney General Bill Barr. And 
you know, just to remember that as as Biden's attorney general, he would exercise a huge and and wide uh, discretion over immigration decisions, just as Sessions and Justice Barr have done. We, we, you know, we haven't really seen any sense of whether or not he's going to have a really difficult confirmation hearing um, uh, if if the Republicans hold. Uh, those two seats in Georgia, I'm sure it would be significantly more difficult than if they, you know, than if the Democrats uh, took control. But, you know, he's going to have to answer for these for these uh, uh, positions that he's had on immigration, on the DREAM Act, on DACA, on stopping the border wall, um, because those are positions that a, a number of Republicans still support, a number of Republican senators still support them. So uh, I do think that he would have a, a very difficult path to confirmation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that'll be really interesting to see. And I'm sure a lot of this will uh, will come down to how that Senate race and the uh, races in Georgia plays out uh, to to see whether, you know, a, a confirmation like this could take place. You know, the other the other name that uh, that Biden mentioned that he wants to he plans to uh, nominate for head of DHS is Alejandro Mayorkas. And. This one's interesting. This one's interesting in that, you know, the Department of Homeland Security oversees most of our immigration related policy and the implementation of that. So this would have very far reaching ramifications on immigration law and immigration enforcement in the United States should he be nominated and confirmed to that seat. Mayorkas, he's he is he's. Just like Becerra, he's been in uh, government for a very, very long time, going back to the late 80s when he served as the assistant U.S. attorney for the Central District of California. Uh, he held some other uh, some other positions there in California as well. And ultimately, in 2009, he was appointed by former President Barack Obama to uh, be the director of the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services. And... In that role, the Senate unanimously approved his appointment. However, in 2013, when he was made deputy, when he was nominated as deputy director and confirmed as deputy director of DHS, no Republicans voted in favor of his confirmation. So that could be a, I guess you could say that might be a precursor to how likely his confirmation is in the Senate. Again, especially if Republicans were to hold one or two of the seats in, uh, in Georgia, it could make it very difficult if if they decide again to try and uh, try and block this from happening. But you know, again, like like, like I had mentioned, this his his nomination would have some very very wide reaching ramifications. You know, during his time as head of USCIS, his most notable work included engineering and implementing the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, better known as DACA. And, you know, as I'm sure we all know, DACA allows for both minors and adults who arrived in the United States as minors to apply for renewable two-year deferral from deportation that also comes with authorization to work in the United States while that deferral is active. And through this alone, you know, that they've, they've more than roughly 700,000 illegal aliens have claimed DACA status. So while this isn't an explicit amnesty, it's often referred to as kind of a soft amnesty. You know, it was a way to protect a large, large number of illegal aliens from deportation and also to uh, infuse them into our uh, into our economy. And Mayorkas essentially put this together and oversaw the implementation of it. So you could expect him to try to 
you know, obviously reinstate this uh, and uh, expand it if possible should he take over that post at DHS. He was also born in Cuba and came to the United States as a political refugee as a young child. And, you know, that, that has shaped a lot of his, uh, his policy stances on the refugee program as well. In fact, in a, in a speech during uh, 2016, during the Obama administration, he said, we need to open up our arms to a greater number of refugees than we have historically and of course, historically, we've been the leader of the world in resettling refugees. And he made these comments during a time when the refugee cap was right around 85,000. So far, far higher than it is now in the Trump administration. And then just this past week, when uh, Biden announced his intention to nominate him, to head DHS, he, re- he put out a statement in that statement. He says, when I was very young, the United States provided my family and me a place of refuge. Now I've been nominated to be the DHS secretary and oversee protection of all Americans and those who flee persecution in search of a better life for themselves and their loved ones. So, of course, while we're very proud in the United States of our, you know, really our, our heritage of welcoming in refugees and giving them a, giving them a place of protection from, uh, from persecution in other nations, you know, there's, there is a responsibility to ensure that we are doing that in a responsible manner and in a manner that doesn't lower the value of lives in the United States, especially during a very difficult time like we're in right now, where there's already millions, tens of millions of Americans who are either without work or who can't find full-time employment. It's very important that we, you know, make sure that our priorities are in place and, looking to raise a refugee cap by potentially a hundred thousand or more certainly at the right now you know would not be in the best interests of americans who are struggling so in addition to that i found it interesting you know especially with this this nomination is that he has often talked about law and order in immigration and he would have been in a position of power when 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 obama put together these so-called cages that we discussed earlier in the podcast. Um, So unless he has changed significantly or would be willing to go along with the more radical uh, factions of the Democrat Party, it seems like he'd be unlikely to push and abolish ICE and an abolish CVP agenda. But he does, if you just go look at some of his old speeches, some of his old, uh, you know, just quotes from you know, various, just throughout his time in government, you see him talk a whole lot about creating paths to citizenship for illegal aliens and expanding the TPS, uh, temporary protective status programs for different countries, and, you know, increasing the refugee cap. He definitely has made it clear that he, he wants to see immigration programs in the United States expanded drastically. And I think you'd expect you could expect that you could expect to see him trying to expand DACA, maybe even, you know, trying to find some way to reinstate DAPA, you know, increasing the refugee cap, new TPS programs or, you know, ensuring that the ones that were being phased out aren't phased out. And since he has pushed for past citizenships for illegal aliens in the past, I don't think you could at all expect him to offer any pushback to Biden's promise to enact a mass amnesty. So those are just a couple of things I think that you have to keep in mind 
with both Becerra and Mayorkas when these confirmation hearings take place and some things you could expect should they be confirmed. So, Matthew, let's go ahead and shift to you now. And just could you tell us a little bit just, you know, how has immigration trended during the times that these two individuals, you know, were in places of power, whether in California or in the United States and the federal government as well? And how is how is the media treating these two nominations and how have they treated them in the past? Because, you know, if you look in if you look into the past of both these individuals, it has not been completely rosy. You know, both of them have been caught up in corruption scandals. There have been some very questionable pardons of, you know, gang members and that sort of thing. So how is the media treating these two? And, you know, what what can we expect in terms of immigration trends? Should they be confirmed? Yeah, so the, the media really has treated these nominees with nothing but praise. Just for instance, on last week, this is with Mayorkas. The New York Times had a headline saying Biden will nominate first Latino to run Homeland Security. Uh, CNN had a headline running saying that Mayorkas could bring stability to DHS after years of interim leadership. So, you know, this seems to be like the common trend with both of these picks where they're celebrating their race and heritage and not so much their skills and expertise that they'll bring to these two positions. And, you know, as you said, scandals with Mayorkas, especially this guy has been involved in a lot of scandals and it really hasn't been highlighted by the media, especially in the you know past couple of weeks when they announced that he would be the next Department of Homeland Security secretary. So one of them, a huge scandal occurred in 2015 with Mayorkas when Obama's Department of Homeland Security, John Roth, conducted uh, an investigation that found that Mayorkas had, in fact, acted improperly when he intervened on behalf of wealthy foreign investors trying to secure EB-5 visas on at least three separate occasions. And for those listening, an EB-5 visa is a visa program that allows wealthy foreign nationals to invest a certain amount of money in the U.S. on big projects like, you know, a hotel. And then if you do that, then you are set on a pathway to a citizenship where you receive a green card. So, when Mayorkas was deputy secretary at DHS during this time, uh, he intervened in three separate cases, EB-5 cases, where these investors were denied, and then he tried to act improperly to get them approved. And again, this was in 2015, President Obama's Department of Homeland Security Inspector General John Roth found that he acted improperly during this time, and it really didn't receive a lot of media attention, mainly more of the conservative outlets, but this was a, a, a big scandal. And I believe Tom Cotton, he was on Fox News the other day talking about this, and he was saying, you know, this incident in itself should not permit Mayorkas to be uh, confirmed. And I, I think that's a, that should be the case. On a separate occasion, um, let's not forget that Mayorkas was the deputy uh, secretary of DHS when the so-called cages were built under Obama. So he was deputy secretary of Homeland Security between 2013 and 2016, and again, he received very little scrutiny for being involved in this process that have impacted migrants all the way up until, up until today. And then going one case further with Mayorkas, uh, and again, this is not highlighted by the media. In 2017, he conducted an interview with PBS talking about what he plans to do with DACA, which Spencer mentioned is the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. And Mayorkas was seen as one of the first few architects of this program. But in his vision, in his 2017 interview, he went on to say that when considering who should qualify for DACA, it should be determined by the age on which they came to the U.S., not their present age. 
So under his vision, a 56-year-old who came to the country when they were two years old would qualify for DACA, which is absolutely insane. Right now, the program uh, is granted to about 800,000 recipients, but under Mallorca's vision, that could be upwards of you know 10 million. So again, another huge item that was really omitted by the media in the past few years or so that should be highlighted a lot more. But again, you know, with, with these, with Mallorcas or Becerra, now Becerra hasn't re received as much scrutiny as um, Mallorcas, but during his time as attorney general in, in, in California and with his political role in uh, California, illegal immigration soared under him. I mean, apprehensions and uh, the border sectors in California had risen during his tenure there. Uh, you look at sanctuary cities and jurisdictions in California, they only expanded. Uh, California remains one of the largest, if not, I think it is the largest state with, or the state with the largest illegal alien population. And that's all under his oversight. And so I think under Bercera and Mayorkas, I mean, that's, that's going to be a, a major problem for the country with immigration. They both support open borders ideologies. Um, and I think our country could, could be in real trouble. It's going to be a vastly different experience than what we've experienced in the last four years under the uh, Trump administration. I also think that these two could be even more fringe now because they're going to be pressured by the far left wing of the Democratic Party now, who the big four of Omar and them, you know, have, have really called for radical immigration positions we haven't seen yet. So uh, we'll be monitoring that as well. But I, I think we're going to see a lot of, of different items in the next few years under their leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it'll be interesting to see if the more radical faction of the left, especially in Congress, can push them to a more radical stance. Well, you know, like I had mentioned, Mayorka seems to be a little more moderate, seems to, you know, understand at least in some way that there's a reason for some of our immigration laws. And it'll be interesting to see if he's willing to hold fast to that in the face of pretty strong pressure. You know, we've seen Joe Biden move significantly further to the left on the immigration issue just in the last couple of years. And this was largely because of pressure from, you know, a large portion of the Democratic Party now demanding an amnesty, insisting on, you know, reining in ICE and CBP. And so it'll be interesting to see if that, see what that does. And, you know, also to see if someone like Becerra were to try to handcuff law enforcement officers and ICE and CBP from being able to do their job by, you know, slapping them with a lot of bogus lawsuits and threats and, you know, investigations, which he has called for in the past during his time in Congress. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and whether or not the media, for one, which, you know, we would doubt, but more importantly, Republicans in Congress, see if they would be willing to hold their feet to the fire on these issues and get them on the record commenting on how they would enforce our immigration laws or would they allow ICE and CBP officers to do their job? And, you know, one, one final comment here, you know, let's not forget Biden's pick for Secretary of State, Blinken. I mean, this guy, again, shares that kind of similar mindset as Becerra and Mayorkas. And, you know, he's been a large advocate for uh, increasing refugee emissions into the country. When he left um, the Obama administration, the, the State Department in 2017 had a cap of about 110,000. You know, this number under the, the Trump administration now is about 15,000. But I think mm -hmm. under Blinken's vision, that's only going to soar back to well over 100,000. And and he's also one of those people that really advocates for the idea of climate refugees. You know, and, and we've seen yes. <laughs> uh, with some of Biden's other other picks that, you know, 
climate change and climate security are going to be big uh, parts of his foreign policy. And if you have a secretary of state that thinks that people have a right to flee their country because of climate change, um, I mean, naturally, that just means there's going to be more refugees for more reasons. And the bar is, is then lowered for people being able to qualify as refugees if you're allowing people to come just because they're afraid of climate change. Uh, absolutely. And, and it's a little it's, it's ridiculous. And it's really just another excuse to increase immigration in the United States. Because if you look at the science, you know, we don't want to downplay the impact of climate change at all. That's not what we're here to do. But if you look at the science, when people come to the United States, their carbon footprint typically increases dramatically. Uh, and when they come to the United States as part of a mass immigration program, it creates issues like urban sprawl. You see a lot of damage to sensitive ecological areas, you know, like in Florida and Arizona. So it's, it is a ridiculous argument to, to suggest that mass amnesty and you know mass immigration policies is good for the climate it's, it's really not it's something that should be carefully thought out it's something that needs a very tailored plan so that we are ensuring that those who come here are caring for the environment and that we're not just taking someone from an area you know where perhaps they do have a famine or something and bringing the united states to where their carbon footprint would increase even more which would create bigger issues in those countries of origin and, you know, create a greater demand for, you know, it, it's it's just not a responsible or well thought out way to approach that issue at all. But it is, of course, being used as an excuse to increase immigration in the United States. Well, I, I think that's all the time we have for today. We hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and perhaps learn something new about these nominees and how they would uh, how they would enforce or not enforce our immigration laws. And as a reminder, we'll be releasing a new episode every other Monday as always. And our episodes are available on most platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And of course, you can also visit our website, www.fairus.org, and our Twitter page, at Fair Immigration, to access episodes as well. So please continue to spread the word for us. We hope each and every one of you had a great Thanksgiving and are enjoying your holiday season so far. And until next time, this has been Understanding Immigration presented by FAIR.